We are Wrestling Elitists. I am your co-host, Alex Gibson, alongside the People's Recruiter, Chris Scott Moore, <laughs> and the Chief Financial Officer of MDK and the Eastern Blockade Club, Sean Nash. What's going on, boys? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Good to be back with an introduction like that. Great titles. Hope you're, uh, hope you're feeling better, Sean. We missed you last week. Much, much better, much better, especially after Death Before Dishonor. Great, uh, great pay-per-view to, to watch coming out of the, uh, the old COVID. It's honestly like almost like it's too bad that this wasn't the week that you got like off from life because there's so much that we had to watch yeah. for the last In few days. And that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but before we head into all of that, uh, please make sure that you're following us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Wrestling Elitist Podcast. Uh, make sure you're checking out our website for our latest articles, match reviews. Chris posted a Ring of Honor post-examination after Death Before Dishonor, as well as an article addressing Titus O'Neil from last Monday when he gave his speech about acceptance on Raw to start off the show. And then I also published a birthday article asking for Ray Phoenix's forgiveness uh, regarding an incident between him, Sean, and I back in uh, 2016. So please make sure you're checking those out and checking out all of our articles. We're getting... Uh, more and more out there as well with uh, the New Japan G1 tournament going on, trying to review as much as we can and giving star ratings for each night. Uh, Sean, how about you let everyone know how this show is going to go? Yep, this week we're going to kick it off with the, uh, the the newest Vince news and a little bit of uh, AEW ROH news as well. Then give you our match moments, cringeworthy things of the week, and leave you off with what we're looking forward to in the weeks and a uh, couple months to come. Oh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, let's start with the Vince stuff. Obviously, I think, uh, unfortunately, I was uh, unavailable this week. Otherwise, I think we might have done a kind of a more of emergency press conference type of a podcast <laughs> to really talk through this and you know maybe even separate this into its own show. But obviously, the news came out on Friday, which Chris had been saying all week, I think something's going to come out on Friday. That seems where everything's going to happen. And sure enough, we get the news that Vince McMahon has retired from the WWE. Let's start with you, Chris. What was your reaction to that news on Friday? Good. <laughs> good. Like, good on so many levels. Like, it should have happened um, from a compliance standpoint, from just a business ethics standpoint, from a decency standpoint, from a... Um, liability standpoint which also came out this uh just today or i'm sorry yesterday about how liable wwe is as a company as a public institution for for vince's uh alleged misdeeds um and then i think for the future of the product i think he's time has obviously passed him by he's damn near 80 years old and i don't know about you but i don't know how many 80 year olds know what's cool and jiggy with it with today hip with the kids yeah yeah definitely not yeah, and I think that we're even kind of seeing it with the way that the market kind of responded to him retiring and then Triple H, you know, kind of jumping into some of those spots, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. But I think that there might be a little bit of optimism if you're somebody who's a shareholder in WWE because you're going to get a little bit more modern. You're going to get somebody who maybe isn't just playing to an audience of one. Think of how fucking crazy that is, right? Just on the surface, the stock market reacts and their value goes up 10%. The value went up 10% because their chairman committed fraud. (laughs) 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 Stock market thinks so little of this guy. And for years, it was like, only Vince knows how to put this goofy shit together and keep it whole. No, the stock market thinks so little of this guy. The idea that the company is in financial and... um, you know, compliance, hell, and peril is great. <laughs> the stock yeah. market is skyrocketing I right now for WWE when we're almost about to hit a catastrophic recession. Like, it's insane that like, their value goes up. They fucking think he's worth nothing. And it just shows how much of a bubble we in wrestling are. Like, yeah. we don't see in the outside world of like, no, get rid of this fucking clown. And that was the reaction of the market. And it was very aggressive. And it was uh, funny where like, yeah, he timed it purposefully at 4.05 after the market was done. And out of fear of, is it going to hurt the value? Nope, it did not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was probably wishing he did at 3.55 at that point. Yeah, think Uh, of how much money he'd have then. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, how about uh, you? What were your kind of initial thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris, you kind of laid out like questions in the uh, the show listing stuff, and it was just, I mean, 
I truly was shocked. I thought this was something that he was just going to weather out because he's a, a pissy old man and he can beat out any kind of allegations against him. And then he would just die there. But shockingly, he kind of um, did something good for once and did it in such a weird way of just like, what kind of 80-year-old you say he is? Um, put types, OMG, I'm, I'm this year old. I should retire now. That's just, <laughs> yeah. it's oddly creepy. But uh, probably not really written by him. And, uh, you know, good. Don't let the door kick you on the way out. Uh, thanks for what you did. But uh, also, thanks for leaving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that I saw the news and it kind of felt like a little bit of a relief almost of just like, it's fucking over, finally. Like, and not for even from a fan standpoint. Like, sure, I'm actually excited about the fact that this might open us up to becoming WWE fans again and talking about it in a more positive light on the Definitely. podcast, Definitely. but just it's been exhausting. I'm going to be honest. Like I, there's a point of me that was getting tired of talking about it on the podcast, getting tired of like just having to go through it. And then nothing really happens as we talked about. I, it might've been on the lost episode that we talked about it where it was very much just a, a feeling of, does anybody even care is, or is this yeah, just, no. or, or is it because it's wrestling? It's just shouting into the void. So you know, what do you, what do you guys think? And we'll start with you again, Chris here in terms of, is Vince going to stay away? Is he going to be in the background on this? And then, you know, on top of that, what is, what does the future look like without Vince and now with triple H taking over the talent relations and, and yeah, things like that? I think just starting with Vince. So if you were to ask me on Friday, would he stay away? No, I, I thought throughout the whole weekend, like, yeah, there's a chance that he's going to come back after it's weathered and he's going to stay in control of his stock uh, as a majority, you know, stockholder, and he'll be able to weasel his way back in in a few years. But in light of the SEC investigations and then also the pending investigation that WWE is anticipating as well, um, he's not going to come back because that's such a huge liability where that's insurmountable for them to even want to have him even shadowing and whispering like, goddamn, pal, there needs to be 50 more cuts here. Like they're not going to even risk that of him screaming into someone's headset. So I think he probably really will be truly gone. Um, and it'll be years before they even probably do like a retrospective or like a thing on Peacock where there's all these zany Vince moments where he's getting hit with a bedpan and in his underwear and all crazy hijinks. Like even that shit's going to probably be gone for a while. So I think just to answer your first question, I think he is going to be gone for a while. Um, and we'll see what type of weird venture he does because he's a workaholic. He has no hobbies, no interests, no desire to do anything besides work 24-7. So I'm sure he's going to figure out like the legal stuff he has to do. But after that, some weird-ass venture will come up next. Maybe a pickleball company because I'm super into the idea of playing pickleball right now. The XPL. Maybe he is too. It's easy on the knees. It's good for... Uh... Yeah, maybe he can ruin that for you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turn it into something that's just unbearable to play anymore. <laughs> um, I'm totally in, in agreement with you there. Um, but the only thing that I kind of can't help myself from thinking is that I feel like he's going to come back at some WrestleMania just for, to introduce himself to the crowd, to be at uh, their star cast or fan fest, whatever they call it. I just don't think he totally stays away from the presence of it outside of being off TV and creative and business handlings. I don't know. I've, I've, yeah, I've struggled to think that he'll stay away or like that he'll be away in the full sense of the word. Like, I don't think that we'll see him, but I, there's just that part of me that struggles to believe that when his daughter is co CEO now with Nick Khan and, you know, Triple H is over creative and talent relations, that he's not still going to be doing some sort of puppeteering in the background because of the fact that he is still the majority shareholder. And I just, I struggle to be positive about that because I feel like every time I try to get positive about the WWE, I get burned on it. So I think practically, I probably think he does stay away, but just like that trust issue side of me doesn't really believe it. I don't believe it on the surface too, but I think he already got them in so much trouble. Like the compromise position that they're in as a executive board is because of him. And it's like, you just want him to go away if you're Stephanie or Triple H or Nick Khan, because it's a risk. Cause they're already yeah. going to get be scrutinized of like, what did you know about this stuff? Don't think that they're not going to be investigated too. Sure. Um, or have to answer questions from, 
you know, some like the guy from Wolf of Wall Street, whatever, on, you know, Stephanie and Hunter's yacht and have to throw some fun coupons at him or something. I don't know. But like, that's going to happen. They're going to have to get investigated to and answer questions. And like, you don't want him around anymore and you don't want any paper trail or anything that shows he has any involvement because there are going to be more liabilities of like, is this guy influencing in any way the profitability of the company? So like, theoretically, he won't, he, he shouldn't, he's going to try. I'm sure. Like I, I, there's no way that like at Thanksgiving dinner, he's not going to be like, Oh, pal, let's see the run sheet. What do you have on Monday? Like, he's going to try. I mean, I can't imagine him not doing that, but I don't know. It's weird. Maybe he'll start a shoot podcast. That'd be fun. That would, but like, imagine how fucking cool it would be if he actually did like the stuff that like these pathetic ex wrestlers do. Like, he's at like a, he's at like a convention signing, you know, <laughs> Zuba's pants from when he was in the 90s, or he's like Ico, signing uh, Ico Pro. Yeah. Like, he's tops. doing that kind of stuff, or he's yeah. doing some sort of public facing tour. Like, he hasn't done the Oprah tour yet of going on the news media and apologizing or explaining himself. He hasn't put on anything like that yet. I'm assuming that's going to come in some semblance, and that's going to be a completely interesting shit show or riveting, interesting uh, shit show when that comes out. I mean, but he hasn't done that yet. I'm sure he's going to want to get his side of the story out at some point, but we'll see. I just don't know if he's going to go fade away. I just can't see it. Yeah. It, it's hard to, I put in like my mind that without him dying, he will be not involved. That's just the, because it's always been kind of the running joke is that he will, you know, die as the chairman and president I, of the WWE. So. And we joked about that too, but I think like you, you mentioned it like Joe Paterno. Um, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's macabre, but like, I wouldn't, that's not out of the realm of possibilities. I think for what his future looks like is some death because is like an old person's heart gets broken and they die. Like it's just like, it's going to happen. Well, that, that, and it's just like, once you stop moving, you, you just deteriorate sometimes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then hopefully that's not what he does, but you know, it, it just, that's the first thing that came to mind was the way that Joe Paterno went after he left Penn state. He probably won't have full access to that WWE gym in the um, corporate office. So his body's just going to completely collapse on itself. It can't hold a, hold the muscle of weight that he has. It's riveting to think of like how much he doesn't have a world outside. Like it's like that Simpsons where um, Mr. Burns is like, has to shop at the grocery store. And he's like, ketchup, 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 ketchup. And he's looking for the Mr. Burns O's. It's just like, I could totally yeah. see him like that hapless and not knowing how to function in the real world at all. Yeah, 100%. Um, and what do you think, not even WWE looks like Vinceless. What do you think the wrestling landscape looks like? You know, I, I, I've seen a lot of doomers almost about what this means for AEW. I don't necessarily think it's a wholly bad thing. I mean, I think it's bad from a, you know, you might lose out on some talent, but ultimately I think it's still good. And if we're in the boom that everyone says that we're in for wrestling, then it really is good. Um, but yeah. what are your thoughts there? I, I, I agree. I think this could be a return to the modern equivalent of what the territories could be. Like you see Tony Khan using the system of like guys going around a lot and like Takeshita can do all these matches. You can have Suzuki do all these matches. You can have like various people do all this work. Um, Maybe that becomes a bit of the norm and guys can work wherever and do a program and then go. Um, I'm assuming like an Adam Cole, um, even a Malachi Black, I guess, who had a good relationship with Hunter before he got main rostered. Like some of those guys could easily go back over and not burn bridges and be fine and be good to go there. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming people will jump back and forth and it's going to force um, better storytelling and good angles to make someone want to go somewhere because that's what made people want to go to AEW initially was like, okay, these are better storylines. This makes more sense. So that's going to have to stay and that's going to create a better product for us to talk about and review as opposed to having one company we can talk about and one that we're just avoiding or making a lot of snarky comments. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I would rather be positive about WWE. There's no joy in shitting on them. 
um i don't i don't enjoy doing that i don't like writing those articles that i did this week about titus like that's i mean it's fun in a sense and it's you get kind of your kicks in a little bit Mm -hmm. but like have your bitch yeah but it's it's i'd rather have a more positive healthy industry that's the best thing for everyone uh a competitive nature and just in the field just completely growing it's gonna be great they're like there's no competition really for aew and especially in the usa right now impact's never gonna be close to anything so it's gonna be awesome to see and then with the tv 14 rating now triple h maybe he can get some of his people back that he brought in the nxt days and we'll see just some some good wednesday night wars like we did in the original days of nxt and aew dynamite yeah i i mean if if WWE became my favorite wrestling program again, like that's not a sad thing for me. I, I don't yeah, see it great. happening necessarily, but it, I'm not like a, against that idea. And that's where it gets weird for me is like, there seems to be people that are like almost upset that, you know, WWE actually might become what it is that they like again, which I think is, is goofy. But, you know, I also think that from a AEW standpoint, I think that this shows that they need to, they need to commit to some of these young stars that they just have kind of held back on pulling the trigger on. So thinking even beyond like an MJF, like Ricky Starks comes to mind uh, or any of those really the pillars, uh, because a lot of those guys I think were AEW guys because they're kind of that smaller, they're the triple H type of guy. And once triple H was out of power, their, their path to becoming stars in WWE became much more difficult. Uh, And so now you need, you need to actually maybe, put put a title on some of those guys and, and really push them and see if they can be in the next star because otherwise they're going to they're going to take their chance especially a lot of those guys are friends with Cody they're going to have you know kind of that in a little bit and that uh you know they're going to be able to hear his experience on what what it's like now with Triple H running the show and they very well could jump and i think that looking back on it you're seeing what a mistake it might have been to have Mox be the interim champ rather than testing it with one of these guys giving it to, to kind of like that dark horse candidate where you could have had an opportunity to see not necessarily Ricky, but who, who do you think that might be a star? Let's try it. And if it doesn't work, have punk go over him when he comes back to unify the title. Yeah. And committing to these young guys too. Yeah. Uh, AEW is going to need to like commit to a better backstage environment. There's been stories coming out of, we'll talk about later with Gresham, some other people, just uh, people not being able to get their voices heard to, the upper management and that's something that i've seen triple h kind of come out already trying to make himself more open to getting successful yeah. than uh vince was just because he was vince at that point so that's going to be a huge thing people get pissy and want to leave the company want to burn that bridge and know they could do it again in wwe with their their guy they had that's gonna definitely make some people jump ship yeah two things i think that's uh that's so key like uh people are going to want to jump when they don't get the creative that they want and so I think it's going to mean long, shorter contracts. And I think that's healthier too, because then you can do something with them. They're a shiny toy. You're not going to be like, okay, well, what do I do in year four with fucking this guy? Um, and then you're not going to sign a Mark Henry to a five-year deal. Like, I don't think he's under a five-year deal, but like, just like stuff like that won't happen anymore. I, I would hope so. Um, and then about the triple H messaging, uh, he obviously knows his audience and he, and like what got leaked, you know, we we weren't there. We don't know if this actually happened, but his saying that he wants you to have fun at work. That's telling that people did not like working with Vince and that environment sucked and was frustrating. Like he knew how to read the room and he knew what they wanted to hear. And I think that's also part of his long-term legacy as someone who was such a, nonsensical micromanager who just needed to go and it seemed like every little bit of um backstage gossip you read from a dirt sheet or a twitter feed is like oh it just seems relaxed and nicer yeah and and i guess we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more as well as well about the gresham stuff but i think that that's one thing that it's always bothered me so within hr especially it feels like there's a lot of people who just get kind of put into that role that like they're not really trying to be an HR person. It's just kind of like you're at a company and they just get kind of pushed into that. And AEW kind of did that with Christopher Daniels. They just were like, all right, you're the talent, you're the EVP of talent relations or, or maybe he's not an EVP, but you're the head of talent relations. The guy's just been a wrestler for 40 or, you know, 20 years, which sure he probably knows how to get along with the boys. He understands them, but like talent relations is essentially, 
an HR role. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, if, if he wasn't like making an effort to be in an HR, like, it just feels weird to me that he just kind of like, he was a wrestler. And then all of a sudden, like the next day he was that it wasn't like a slow progression or like anything like that. And we're kind of seeing it like there's where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a reason that people keep coming back and saying that there's a communication problem with talent and that they go dark on people when they decide that they're not going to re-sign them. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be, a, you have to have someone that's willing to have those hard conversations. Tony, if you're listening, I'm very happy in my work I'm doing right now, but huh. I can be, I can be purchased for the right price. Um, yeah. I mean, and, they have, they have to not be a startup anymore. They can't have that mentality and they have to have a larger infrastructure. And some of that's going to, their dollars are going to have to be spent, not on talent, but just, like office infrastructure and, and, and people talent and people that are doing um, some of the boring stuff of a compliance. I mean, I always thought like, I know that infamous uh, shoot interview that Punk did with Cabana about making fun of Mark Carano and all the goofy suits in HR that you'd have to deal with from a talent relations standpoint in WWE. But I do think it makes sense to actually have some goofy suit who's in HR that doesn't have any part of the wrestling business because you need to have a professional that views it like a business that is independent, that doesn't, you know, just have an outsider perspective yeah, and like totally. you're not so... Um, it's 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 supposed to be a thankless job. It's supposed to be a difficult job, and it's supposed to have uh, difficult conversations. And it's not supposed to be like, okay, I'm one of the boys. I'm being your friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, and let's just let's kind of round out the the Vince stuff with where does this leave him? Like, what what's his legacy now after this? Does this does this taint it? Does this really? Do you think wrestling fans will still revere him? Like, what is this? What is Vince McMahon and oh, 15, they'll, 20 they'll years more totally looking back him. on him? Yeah, I, I think they'll totally revere him because you have enough fans that are like, well, they they got paid for doing it. It's not they're they're just sluts too. Like you had <laughs> enough of those people that said that and didn't get it and didn't understand that like he should leave the company because what he did was misappropriation of funds for that uh, paralegal. That that alone, like you're out. Like any other public company in the universe would be like, you're out, you're done. Um, so I think because of the nuance of it, it's going to be hard to understand and comprehend that. And you're going to like that memory of him eating stunners and, you know, him doing funny skits with Kurt Angle playing the guitar. Like you're just going to remember the good stuff. And I think at the end of the day, like he is going to have a good legacy. I think it's going to be obviously the innovation that he brought. But then I think anyone with a brain is also going to think of his legacy as uh, twofold of this is a complex individual who made a lot of ruthless and shitty business decisions and just moral decisions too that were underhanded and took advantage of people. Yeah, just from the first day when the no- the the news broke and he comes out on Friday Night SmackDown first thing and everyone they pan to the crowd. There's people cheering him still. There's his legacy is still going to be flawless in some people's minds, but mm-hmm. I mean, he did kind of change and make a revolution in the industry. So there is things that he has to be appreciated for, but also he needs, he can be someone who was kind of now put in a place back in the shelf because he had some, some very dark, dark tendencies. Yeah. I think, I think you guys are, are pretty much right there. It's weird to think that we probably saw the last stone cold stunner that Vince McMahon will ever take. Best one ever. And, uh, <laughs> That was ugly. <laughs> Even a camera cut couldn't fix that. No, and I think like w- talking about his legacy too. Friday is going to be some more shit. Like there's 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 a real sports thing that's coming out about him that's supposed to be damning. Yeah, that'll be um, good. And real sports has been digging up him for a couple of weeks now. They're not done with the Wall Street Journal series, so I think there's more stuff that's going to come out. So if it's just this corporate stuff that's over people's head and they don't get the legality of it, it's going to be like we talked about where it's like, well, okay, people will just not get it or they'll have fond memories of WrestleMania or whatever. But if more shit comes out, that's like just more taking advantage of women and casting couches and harassing almost everyone or dick pics and more dick pics, actually not just one. That seems like that's a pattern. Um, then his legacy could be like a, um, Harvey Weinstein. Ooh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder. Do and I'll ask you guys. Um, like, do you think him retiring kind of gives like the um, the siren call to other um, news sources and investigative journalists to dig more into this outside of like the the real sports and Wall Street Journal? I don't know because it's weird to me that they didn't jump on it earlier, right? So maybe there there could be a reason to, but also maybe they're going to be like there's those places are already so deep into it that. It might be a waste of time at this point. I do. I'm almost positive that we will see a podcast come out about this though at some point. Oh, there's going to be books about it and thing. documentaries yeah. and stuff about it. And there'll be a WWE whitewash version of it too. That's yeah. like, you know, he got, he made some bad choices and he got looked into like, uh, no, there's going to be more stuff yeah. that comes out. And I think like he will in this whole process of getting, um, the sec, the government is coming after him. Um, and I mentioned this before, just when the initial story broke, he's going to get accused of things he didn't do whatsoever. Like they've gotten uh, sued by, this is before your guys' time, but there was a guy named Murray Hodgkin or Hodges or Hodgkin or something who accused Pat Patterson of, um, you know, sexual harassment. And this guy was someone who sued other companies doing this. And he went after Vince because that was in the news and he worked there for a short period of time. There were sex scandals going on. I don't think it's um, impossible to assume that there's going to be people come out of the woodwork with bullshit stories to muddy it, but to also give him a victim complex and to also make him think, well, I did nothing wrong or like the company go, well, nothing, you know, I got all these lies too. So it's just going to be more muddied and complex. Absolutely. Um, what other piece of news, which we've kind of talked about a little bit, uh, so and we'll get into even talking about Jonathan Gresham has uh, supposedly asked for his release from Ring of Honor and AEW, which uh, he hasn't even been at them for very long, hasn't been on TV very much with them. No. And uh, if you watched the Ring of Honor pay-per-view this weekend, uh, he walked out in just his normal it's just a t-shirt, not his normal entrance gear without his, no, uh, gimmick. no yeah, no mask, no flag, no Blanchard and kind of had a, had a <laughs> face where you're, you're in public and you see a couple that's been fighting, but they're trying to look happy. Uh, that's what his face looked like as he was walking to the ring, still put on a great match with Claudio, yeah. but, uh, ultimately, um, was, you know, then not happy. He deleted his Twitter immediately after the show and then, came out that he had cussed out Tony Khan just before the match, uh, was upset to be losing, wasn't happy with the presentation of his character, didn't want to be a heel. He's leaving now, potentially. What do you think this kind of means from an AEW standpoint? We're starting to hear more and more, like we just talked about the talent relations thing, but like we've heard this multiple times. Even Billy Gunn has come out and said the most frustrating thing about AEW is the lack of order and organization. Um, do you think that this is like kind of a emblematic of a, of a bigger problem within AEW, or is this something that they can fix? What are your thoughts there? Um, I think it could be a scapegoat too, because the honeymoon's over. Um, and yeah. where it felt like there was less bureaucracy and you could just be yourself. Maybe that's a hindrance now. Um, or you're so used to it and Vince's system to have that. I don't know. Maybe that's not, maybe you need a little bit of a kick in the ass or knowing where to go. Um, you know, I don't know with regards to Gresham though. Um, like I, I saw the quote with uh, Wrestling Inc. and he talked about like, you know, you can just be a character of a good wrestler, and that's totally true, and it's not invalid. And he wasn't on television a lot, and you don't know what happened behind the scenes to make him not on the screen. So I can understand that frustration certainly, um, and I think the toxicity of fans uh, complaining about his height. Oh yeah, like that's got to be frustrating to deal with. You're getting more of a national audience and people just fixate on your height. Uh, that would be very difficult. Now he has a unique look and that should be bullshit and he's great, but I don't know if that would just really get in your head and bother you or just, or piss you off that fans just can't get over that. And you think, is that what the company thinks too? So I don't know. Yeah. I'll say I personally, I, I do think that like his height hindered my ability to truly like be fully invested in him, but I never would have tweeted something at him or even said anything like Like ultimately every match I've seen of his was really enjoyable. Yeah. And that's really what matters. It just, he was not my favorite. He wasn't my favorite wrestler, but like he was somebody that I enjoyed to still watch. 
And I think you brought up a good point, one that I hadn't thought of, which is funny because I've, I typically work for startups. So one of the questions that I'll ask somebody when they're coming from a large 10,000 person company, a, you know, a, a WWE size company to an AEW size company is you talk to them about like, can you handle this startup world? And the fact that there aren't processes everywhere, you kind of just got to do your own thing. You have to, you're responsible for more of what you're doing than at another place where you're, where you're siloed. And I think that that is a point of, you know, maybe some people just aren't built for that within even the wrestling world and mm-hmm. that they need to be okay with that. I do still think that, you know, there's, there's an issue with the talent relations side of like, when somebody's not getting renewed, they need to be told that and they need to be, you know, kind of have that conversation and don't just assume that they know it. Um, but other than that, I, I do agree though, that they don't need to have as much organization and everything like that. If, if they want to operate in kind of that startup ish space, but also if they want to be taken seriously and get to the next level, they're going to have to tighten things up. Cause that's eventually as you scale up, you have to start doing that type of stuff. Yeah. It was a good example of what Chris said earlier. Just, you can't be a startup anymore. You have to kind of grow up to the next, uh, next level there. So perfectly. Yeah. Safe. Yeah. I, I hope, you know, I hope Gresham, I hope he gets his release if he's unhappy. And it sounds like he's even considering just not wrestling for a while. Uh, I know him and his wife both really struggle with social media. He's got his um, own like um, academy or like his own promotion as well, like Terminus or something. That's yeah, yeah, but that's well. struggled too. That's yeah. had some issues. And their number two guy who he let beat him uh, was Santana. He was giving Santana a shot as a uh, singles competitor and then Santana oh, really? got hurt. God. Yeah, so uh, not great there. And there was some issues with their first two shows too. So we'll see. And and I know that I do know that Jordan Grace, his wife, she actually works a full time regular job because she never wanted w- wrestling to be like her only income. So I don't know if Gresham does the same thing. Um, but you know, whatever he chooses to do, wish him the best. And and maybe with Triple H back in WWE, this opens up a chance for him to go there. Cause I don't think he would have had a chance with Vince. I, I just, no, oh, no, God, way. No. no way. So, um, let's, uh, let's move on though. Let's go into our, our match of the week. Let's get a little bit more positive here and, and talk about that. Uh, Chris, uh, we actually had all the same match of the week, but Chris, why don't you start by uh, talking through it? Yeah, I'll, say a little bit and I'll hand it off to you guys. So uh, FTR uh, went over the Briscoes two out of three falls at death before dishonor. This was a great match. It was, in my opinion, a little bit less great, if you will, than their first famous match. And I think what, 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 what took away from that for me is like, we obviously went to that match live and we got to feel the energy and you knew that these guys hated each other supposedly on Twitter, on Twitter and like their videos. And they just went at each other for months. And so you got to think everything was real. And this is a real fight and every look how stiff that shot is. And you got a little bit more sucked into it because of it. Um, And then this had, really no storyline going into it like they did a couple of great promos which we'll talk about later on to build up to it but they didn't have a storyline at all going into it and the briscoes were never on tv again so this was a pretty cold match but it was the main event because you knew it was going to deliver and it did and it was a very good story just took a long time to unfold um but boy that was a great finish and they can they have a freaky chemistry like they just somehow these guys work together so perfectly and it is one of those all-time great rivalries i was very happy by the finish i was thinking the briscoes were going to win though so i was happy i think they did the right thing by keeping them strong and uh keeping the belts on them for that eventual match with i guess the young bucks maybe i don't know but we'll see what were your guys' thoughts um I, I loved it. Uh, I just watched it today, so I'm still kind of running on a high of it. Loved kind of the beginning story of what, like the first pinfall with Dax kind of just weathering the storm, fighting through it like a like the eight-year-old girl he is, and <laughs> getting the hot tag out there to cash was just perfect. He, and they both just suffered such a, a brutal amount of chops from the Briscoes. The yeah. Briscoes this year, have, we've seen, I've seen them three times, I think, I believe. We saw them twice at... Um, the WrestleMania weekend with that awful match between Loki and uh, Oh, I, I blocked <laughs> that from my memory. Good. Yeah, it's, it's been a really weird uh, year in wrestling. And then awesome match with FTR. And I saw him in some fuck fest in uh, GCW with some guys. But this, this just solidified that they're, if FTR's won, these guys are 
two or three because they're just fantastic. Their their ability to sell, they're masters in it. Uh, they're perfect tag team workers with them. I mean, they're brothers. They, these are family men. They're they're fathers. They're 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 fantastic in the ring. Their move set was just insane, and everything was just so like devastatingly hard hitting in looks that there's no way you couldn't love this. And they need to get on TV someone get a little cred to them. Just stop blackballing them if that's what's going on. Let's get them on TV. Well, yeah, we did see that they did sign a long-term deal with ROH. I'm not sure if you saw that report, but mm-hmm. Tony said oh, Tony said that before the pay-per-view, which is, I think, what made a lot of people think ROH or they might go over and win yeah. the titles at that point. Worked on um, me. But yeah, absolutely. That was a good job by Tony to kind of put that out there. Uh, I would say that I, I love the match. I, my my only like real, I guess, complaint is two out of three falls matches for me. You always know that each team's going to get the first and second fall, so it's so inconsequential. Those first two, I, I only care about the third fall, anyways. Usually, so that that's a struggle for me there. Uh, but other than that, I think a couple of things that I wanted to call out. I, I noticed that the announcing team. So, how often is it that you actually like somebody hits their finisher and then the announcer goes, and that'll be it. That's going to win it for them, and then they count. You know, it's a two count. Mm-hmm. The first two falls, Caprice Coleman said that that's going to be one for the Briscoes. And it actually was. And same thing with FTR when they got there, like then FTR is about to get their, get the win back or something like that. And then it was one, two, three. I just thought that was interesting. I feel like you never see that happen. And it happened on the first two falls. Um, they did a great job. The store, the yeah. commentary team was really, really good. And it was, it was all about, wrestling as a sport and yes. just subtle things of like, Oh, the Briscoe's grunt Mark, Mark Briscoe grunts because that's his way of communicating with Jay and the way that they can talk. He knows what he's saying. Bob, yeah, they can hit silly sounds and oh, whatever, but that works. It's great. And then the thing about the two out of how the Briscoe's have gone up two falls on so many tag teams and FCR goes two matches up in this series. So it was just, was really clever. And I thought they did a good job and, it was nice to have two people, not four, and not two of them screaming or one falling asleep. Yeah, it was very good. I I, I love a two man booth. I never need three. It's just it gets too crowded. You get too much, you know, just too many too many uh, cooks in the kitchen type of a thing there. And uh, but other things, the finisher with the avalanche pile driver. Thank God that didn't have a kick out. I would have hated that having a kick out or even a breakup, even a breakout. Like even if somebody broke up the pin that needed to be the finish. So I'm very glad that that was the finish there. That back suplex, that cash hit to the outside on the table. That was amazing. Small complaint is that I hate that they had already basically done a similar table spot with dragon Lee and Roosh earlier in the show, like, which was a great spot, but like the table is in the same place at the time they went through it. Like I, they shouldn't have done that at that point in my eyes. Um, and then uh, just post-match, getting to see Dax uh, chugging a high noon, oh. big high noon guy here. The what an old flavor it was. <laughs> but uh, overall, just a really good good, good showing. And I think that it almost had no opportunity to really be as good as the first one because the first one was literally their first match ever. And we, everyone was so excited just to see them lock up. But it was a great follow-up. There was just a beautiful moment too in the match going for the third fall with the uh, submissions of both FTR and the submissions and Cash is grabbing. Just beautiful. Beautiful. And they just kind of panned in on it. Bloody, sweaty, but not letting your your boy tap out. Yeah, it was like uh, if Rose never actually let go in Titanic. Mm -hmm. That's what that felt like. Really cared. And uh, absolutely a, a great match and excited to see where FTR goes from here and where where the Briscoes even end up being. And I, I do want to say that I've made the decision that FTR is the best, the best uh, tag team I've seen in my lifetime. Oh yeah. Without question. This year sure. was like definitive. Like they've been, this was one of the best years of tag team wrestling ever. And they had the three best matches. So, well, let's uh, let's move on and we'll actually continue talking about the uh, FTR here, but let's go to your moment of the week, Chris. All time classic promo with uh, Dax saying, I'm going to fight like an eight year old girl. Uh, just uh, such an emotional line. You know, he's been 
wanting to share this piece of information on TV, but just didn't have the right opportunity to do so. Uh, and it was fitting too in the match itself, how we kind of bladed a little bit on his chest just to accentuate it. Uh, but it was a great line. Um, and it was uh, just, he's a ultimate baby face. And you wouldn't think that would be the case because he was always such a little turd heel, you know? And so it's funny how, um, even the way that they delivered it, like cash did a good job kind of starting it off, but then he gave it to Dax and it was like, you could feel this, like, uh Oh, something's coming. Something not oh bad, but like, Oh good. Like this is going to be a big moment. And you could just feel that this guy's at the top of his craft. Like he is, yeah. he is the wrestler of the year, maybe Mox, but Dax is really close to, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, there's much a debate besides it's Dax and maybe Mox, but he is just performing at another level. And he had a great moment where everyone got sucked in and loved it. And you, you contrast that with the barbed wire shark cage clusterfuck. He didn't have to do anything. And he got such a reaction that you'll remember for years. Oh yeah. You could feel it going that way. Like, why is he telling this story? And then just as soon as he said it, you're, it's still just, Brings a tear to your eye, shocks in your face. It's yeah, but gosh, beautiful. Yeah, it really was, and I think it, it was kind of one of those defining promos, right? Like I just think that everyone's always going to remember Dax for that. And it's interesting. I was watching over the weekend uh, take over Dallas when, uh, so you know that was the infamous Shinsuke versus uh, Sammy, Sammy match, Bowl. but then also that that show kicked off with. The revival versus uh what was it not American, alpha academy american, american alpha, alpha yeah at the time and just seeing where those two have come like since then like which they were yeah. great back then but like they're just such stars now um and and just fully rounded out i think that in nxt they really didn't have much of a personality other than like we're just two really good wrestlers that you know kind of didn't like are flips. also shit bags too <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and don't like flips and just seeing what they've turned into. And, and I think that when they first, you know, came over to AEW, I was very excited, but I was like, I was still stuck on their old names. And to me now they are Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. Like that's who they've always been. I don't even know their old names. That's a good sign. Yeah. I had I, to, I, I don't, I had to look at, so it was Scott Dawson and uh, Dash Wilder. I had to look oh up which one was gosh. which. I had no, which I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it, they've just done such a good job. Yeah. When you look at AEW's formation, they are the ones that have truly cemented their legacy by leaving WWE. Um, and yeah, the fight like an eight year old girl, that's uh, an all timer. Uh, Sean, what was your moment of the week? Mine was just a little light, a little funny. Uh, and we got a perfect little pie face with the cake to, uh, Smart Mark Sterling. Just finally, we get a good one in AEW. I think they've done it a couple times with the Sabian and uh, Penelope Ford wedding. Just no cake staying on the face. Perfect glob staying right there on that son of a bitch. Um, and then a, a nice little jab by uh, Kevin Gates too. That was uh, kind of all, <laughs> kind of got all of that. But uh, just a nice little moment and uh, funny. Um, we'll have this little handicap match this week, and uh, it'll be fun. I thought he looked like Mark Morrison. I was like, gonna like someone has to make a return of the Mac joke, Kevin Gates, <laughs> and then no one did. But then I read like that, like I'm sure you guys saw this on Twitter. I guess like Kevin Gates like dated his cousin for like a long time. <laughs> uh, his own cousin? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Yeah, they like found out they were cousins, and they like that that didn't stop him. That was on my Twitter. I, I don't oh, know. Ooh. Maybe maybe that says something about me, or I'm just a weirdo. Yeah, or your like, algorithm like, is. You, yeah, you we're just gonna feed you weird you've got shit. Some searches that are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was a. Uh, uh, Mark Sterling is just a, a fun heel for me. I enjoy what he does, and I think that him, like his like kind of goofiness paired with Nisa's seriousness, is is very good. And I think they have good chemistry. So that was a that was a good spot, and then. For my moment of the week, it kind of goes back to another more serious promo, but I think it was only released for uh, the internet. And it was Ricky Starks apologizing for not winning the tag titles with Hobbs. That was a two minute promo that uh, it just fucking went. Like it was so good, so passionate. 
Ricky Starks to me, I actually kind of like him as a talker more than M- MJF at this point. And maybe that's recency bias because I haven't heard MJF in a while, but Ricky can, the way that he spins things around and, and talks about him, I think is a little bit more, he just, he makes things a little bit different. Whereas MJF at a lot of times he's incredible. Don't get me wrong, but it was also ultimately kind of like him saying the same things, you know, kind of doing a lot of the same uh, kind of shtick. And I feel like, I feel like Ricky's just so versatile and I think it really showed what he can be as a face, which uh, I, I would really like to see. And then Hobbs too. I sometimes forget that Hobbs can talk too, because he's partnered with one of the better talkers in the business and in the company. Uh, so I you said it before. I'll say it again. I wanted them to win uh, that tag match. I want them to win. Still, I, give Starks any of the titles. There's like 15 titles at this point with ROH and AEW being joined. <laughs> give him something besides the FTW title and, um, you know, see what he can do. Because I think that if they were to let him, you know, take his shot at WWE, I think WWE would have a star in him. Especially now with the new administration, they're not going to see yep. him as um, let's, let's change his name and make him a manager. Uh, he's and he, and he looks too like he's about to job to hook, which is like God, like that's a great mm-hmm. matchup. But he's someone's gonna have to lose that program, and it's gonna be him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would because that's what they have to be building to at the Danhausen thing, which he did a great impression of. By the way, that was hilarious. That was very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, ultimately, I, I think. Um, I wouldn't break up I think, Team Taz though. That just, I mean, yeah, I, I would keep yeah. Hook with them and just, just wait. Let them do. Let him kind of grow more. Don't shoehorn that in. I mean, it's nice that that's a slow build starting, but Starks is just you don't want to have him lose again. Like he's just losing a lot. Always well, and he's spot. and he's the one who ate the pin in that yeah that tag match too. Mm-hmm. So um, let's move on to our cringe of the week. Chris, uh, you you wrote an article about it, but let's let's kind of talk through it a little bit. Yeah, that article is a little bit scorched earth, so you can read it on WrestlingLatest.com if you want to go uh, take another look at it. I mean, I I wish uh, Titus would have said no and just didn't go out and do that promo. I think it spits in the face of the good work that he's trying to do or wants to do um, because when you're selling the company as a place that's racism and politics free when we know that's not the case historically. It was just insulting to hear. Um, And I just don't think he gets it as well. And I think maybe someone could read that as a personal attack or just mean spirited. But at the end of the day, like that was a legit real life smile. I'm proud to have the warrior award, the man who's the most divisive nut job who hates everyone who's a homophobic racist deplorable human being that should get shit on for all eternity and should not be associated with the wwe hall of fame um which is a huge human turd and then the fact that like the moment Vince retired he was the first one to like tweet like love you boss you're the best and it's like (laughs) the motherfucker like took your wrestlemania pay away because you touched him because you you wanted to let women go first and he was mad at you about that like have some goddamn dignity and backbone say no Say it's going to hurt our global relations shit. I can't go out and say we're, uh, you know, a, a, a safe haven of, you know, divinity on earth when all this shit is going on. Like, it's just the most uh, spineless, soulless uh, little thing I saw in years. I was really disgusted by it, as you might be able to tell. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to it, but yeah, it was just. It's like you said, I think it's one of those things where it's like you could say no. And and I understand that there are times where people feel like they can't say no because they're afraid of losing their job or, or they're afraid of, you know, that comfort that they have. But Titus O'Neil has won like multiple humanitarian awards, like outside, like not just like WWE yeah. gave him an award. It's not like he like he's not like he just won like their version of the Walter Payton Award. Like he's been like, like genuinely recognized internationally as, you know, an ambassador mm-hmm. and for for a lot of different causes. So if someone like him stands up to that, even if the worst case scenario happened there, he'll be fine. Like, like I mentioned, how good is been, that work and how good is the goodwill you're spreading if they're going to fire you for you saying, I'm not comfortable with this. Yeah. 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 Totally. yeah. So I think that that's where it, you know, because I think I know myself, like I've 
I've left jobs because I didn't agree with what, you know, an executive said in front of me and I would challenged it and wasn't met with the way that I wanted it to be met with. So I ultimately, I found another job before I did it because I don't have the kind of like, oh, just leave and find something else type of money. But if I did have that kind of money, I, I don't think that I would have a problem doing that because yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, it's what is your, what is your soul worth? Yeah. Most people don't. They they're um hey, I'm a company guy. And then that means you can just take any sort of verbal abuse, psychological abuse, or just turn a blind eye when that company does nefarious things. Like I mentioned, every company does charity work. Every company says they're a good global citizen or a great humanitarian. You can find nice stuff to do elsewhere. I don't yep. know. Don't have yeah. an excuse for it. And the and the Stephanie thing was weird too. Yeah, um, she's just, a little bit more compromised though. I have a little bit more grace for her in a weird way, just because it's her father. And but it's still odd. Like that shit's gonna age like the Benoit tribute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, how about your cringe of the week? My cringe was that uh, fuck fest of a shark cage. Every uh, barbed wire everywhere match that there was. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd be so pissed off if I was in the crowd and throughout the whole show there was just a dangling shark cage in front of my view. Like, <laughs> why would you? Why would you not put that maybe just on the stage where no one's going to have a encumbered view? So so dumb, so awful. It's barbed wire everywhere, but there's not barbed wire on that. And you have handicapped Ruby Soho, uh, just or whatever her name is, and. You're going to have her being the, the garter of the, the whole thing. Just awful, awful ideas. Uh, it just seems like a fuck fest of doing everything. Even after the match, Chris Jericho goes through the uh, the spider web of barbed wire. Just so awful. Why is Sammy not there in the beginning? Just so many kind of plot holes. And there's no reason for Jericho to win this. It's just Eddie Kingston should have won. Just dumb. And one, why want this to be over? One of those Jericho things that just needs to kind of end. Move on. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely hated it. I, I hated it when it was announced. Um, I think that's also on the lost episode was that was my cringe that week. I just I don't think barbed wire matches ever live up to what they're said to be. Uh, AEW is now over two in my book with them. And yeah. and it was just overthought. You you're you're ruining this. And like Eddie Kingston has been one of those guys that's had the biggest reactions from the crowd. And they're just overthinking this. And also Jericho has the longest feuds. I this mat this feud should have been over at Blood and Guts. I get why they kept it going in terms of like having the story of, well, he didn't get to make Jericho bleed. He didn't get to make him um, you know, he didn't get to be the one that made him tap. But honestly, that after that match, it should have still been done. And he should have started feuding with Claudio at that point because mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's just who even cared about those two by, by this match. And, and like I said, I just, I get it. It's product placement with the shark cage and shark week and all that stuff. True. But it's, it's so overdone and it never works. It never works. And so you got people that maybe tuned in. We'll, we'll say some people tuned in because it was shark week and they, they saw that crossover. Who the fuck is going back to it after that? Like who's, Who's no. like that? Yeah. Now I'm in. Yeah. Right. There, and there's enough, like there's two things that I thought were just goofy with this match as well. Like why did Eddie even try to pin him? Like he shouldn't try to win. And that could have been a storyline that they just, that that was the story of it is like, okay, he's never trying to pin Jericho. He's just going to try to rip his face off. Fine. Do that. But that could have been something you built up for forever. Yeah. It's, I mean, just look at new Japan just did it perfectly with, Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. They did that exact same type of an idea perfectly. And then it cost Kenta and it's a very easy story. You don't even need the announcers to tell you what the story is because right. it was very clear what it was. You knew Jericho was going to win. So don't put Eddie in that situation. It reminded me of Bob Holly's book. He talked about, and he wasn't trying to like, um, throw talk shit about Jericho, but he's like, he gets so excited and he forgets to take care of you when he comes up with ideas and you'll have to say, yeah, but what about me? I got to, not look like an idiot. And I think like, this <laughs> yeah. is kind of one of those things too, of like, I, it just, it was all about him. And when he's giving, 
he takes. Um, and it's ironic too, after like he did, uh, he made a great point on a podcast about like, it's a little bit shitty for fans to just be so fixated on botches. And that's true. I think that is like a needlessly, um, divisive or trying to be cute and kind of a thing that can get annoying for wrestlers. But like this match ironically had so many botches too. And like, just after he said that shit, like the elbow was goofy. The, uh, the chair back fist that he hit. Yeah. Like there was a lot of things that were just botchy, botchy, botchy. The shark cage exit was goofy, but just, it did not go well. And I think anytime AEW, and this is not appropriately, but like anytime they've had a big violent spectacle match, the first blood and guts had a silly ending, the silly ending for the initial barbed wire match, the blood and guts that we just recently went to people didn't also like, because it was just too much and excessive. And this was also excessive too. Um, it's just your fan base is saying you got to fucking chill. And I get that he's an ECW guy. He being Tony is an ECW guy, but I think even the fan base now is like, just do a match, like calm down. Exactly. I think that they just, it's almost like sometimes Tony even just gets an idea in his head and doesn't realize that it won't actually play well, but he gets too excited about it. And Mm -hmm. maybe he needs some people around him that say no a little bit too. And, and he just doesn't have that or something. Um, and then uh, we'll go to my cringe, which was a very simple thing. I just, I got on our Twitter the other day and we follow a lot of wrestlers and I, I had to unfollow a handful of them because I just, I can't deal with people who retweet compliments 24 seven. And there's a few guys, especially within AEW, I won't name names because I want them on the podcast uh, that are just the worst about it. They're retweeting the same clip where someone says like, just wow, this guy's a star. They retweet fucking 50 people saying that shit. Just like it and move on. Like, it, I don't understand the idea of like retweeting compliments. If anything, like I would prefer watching the people who just respond to hate mail at that point. Like Taz, those people are better to me than the ones who are just like constantly taking in the praise and then making sure everyone else sees it. It's, it's a stupid thing, but yeah, yeah. And it's like, sure. you're retweeting it to people who are already your fans. So what the fuck's the point? It's just, yeah, it's just this need for constant praise. It, we won't I'm, say the name, but the person you, you like, when you mentioned this, I was like, oh, there's one person that we tweeted. We're like, hey, we love your, we saw you at such and such. And then they never retweeted us. They retweet oh. everyone. Yeah. Oh, bitch. Maybe that's why I'm bitter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're under attack right now, and we 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 went to your fucking whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's simple. Uh, we at Wrestling Elitists, uh, we'll we'll retweet a good response, but it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a compliment. Feel free to shit on us; we'll still we'll still engage. I'm gonna so. feel so weird if we get like a like a just a weird over the top compliment. I'm like, all right, Alex, come on, we're gonna re- you gonna like that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll quote tweet it and tell him to fuck off. Uh, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Let's uh, let's move into our anticipation. Uh, Chris, what do you oh, got? Oh boy, I can't wait to watch Brian Danielson wrestle <laughs> Daniel Garcia. Like that pause there. I was getting a little nervous. I felt it coming out the wrong way. I was like, ooh. I I even I'll say Brian Danielson, and then I have to look to you guys to see if I said it yeah. right. You do do that a lot. Yeah. You'll, you'll look at us and be like, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I'm waiting for your – I read your guys' face and I'm like, okay, that's the right one. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited for that match. It's good to see him back again. And uh, uh, this will be kind of – I'm assuming he'll probably – this is me assuming. Maybe he'll do moves that he was saving for Zack Sabre Jr. Or maybe they'll put a little bit of that in there because that was the last match he was going to have. And they're very complimentary and similar. Daniel Garcia did a great job in the pay-per-view as well uh, with Wheeler Yuta coming off like a younger version of Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, or something more of his own, you know, like he's, he has all that technical prowess and skill, but he's a, just a dick and wants to be, he's got the uh, dog in the fight yeah, and, yeah. and kind of resents um, a serious wrestling company, even though he's a serious wrestler. So I like his character and I think him and Danielson will do something fun. Yeah, I uh, actually specifically didn't make that at my anticipation just because I didn't want to have to play that game. But <laughs> see, uh, I'm in agreement with Chris. I cannot wait to see Danielson 
just come back. It's been quite a long time when he came out on that uh, dynamite and had to say he's uh, skipping out on Forbidden Door. Heartbreaking. But uh, it'll be nice to see this, like Chris said, kind of a Zack Sabre Jr. light from Buffalo. I, I yeah, like and what was what, what's the smash that you're looking forward to, Sean? Brian Danielson verse. <laughs> I, I almost that little that D. I'm like, oh, oh shit, Daniel Garcia. Yeah, that it, it will be a good match. And I actually saw Cage side somebody wrote an article about um, that they actually think that's why Jericho beat Kingston is because he's going to actually be the next feud, which makes sense if Daniel Garcia is facing him here. Yeah. Then and then it kind of turns into an all out uh, Danielson versus uh, Jericho. Put the so, old man down, uh, that, and that, that might get well some ratings to, or ratings. It might get some buys as well because they're both big names that have been around wrestling forever. So maybe that'll be help uh, help them get the numbers they had for last year's all out. Absolutely, and then uh, my anticipation going back to Sean's moment of the week with Swerve pieing Smart Mark Sterling is. Swerve will be facing Tony Nice and yeah. Smart Mark Sterling in a two-on-one handicap match. Um, I'm excited because this means that Tony Nice gets to lose but not get pinned. So I'm happy about that. And I just, I really like Swerve. I really like Nice. So to see these two get a chance on television to kind of showcase what they're doing, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a five-star match by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it'll just be fun, enjoyable, and and I think that we're just continuing to see Swerve kind of become a star. Am I crazy? Didn't they have a match on Rampage already? Uh, Swerve so. and Tony Nese? Like, right when he kind of came in? Or was that Swerve and Ricky Darby Starr? That was Swerve faced Darby Allen and didn't okay. Nice like, mess with it or somebody, somebody I, I, came yeah. in. Yeah, anyways, I thought they wrestled already, but I was like, okay, whatever. It's still going to be great. Like, those two are going to have really good chemistry, I can just tell. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, but I'm not as excited about that as I am about this next announcement. Chris, I believe you got some news this past week that uh, Sean and I have been anxiously awaiting and debating uh, what the outcome would be. Betting, uh, yeah. Yeah, betting. So um, you have received the official gender of your child. What is it? Yeah, so my wife and I are having a child. The child will be born on one twenty three twenty three, And I can't believe we made it this long without saying gender and fucking up and slipping. Like, I'm such an old man and would say something stupid on accident. So... I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to use my fingers to show the genitalia. Okay. Oh, geez. This is the way to do it. Yeah. No longer a audio only podcast. This is great for radio right now. I can't see what I, you're doing. Yeah. I can't see what you're doing. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Oh, great. Great little uh, clip. Oh, uh, for oh, for those bitch. listening at home, that that means boy. <laughs> yes, that's a boy. That's a boy. Uh, the most mature oh. reveal ever. I'm, I'll be I'll be 37 when this guy comes out. <laughs> uh, but no, we're very excited. It's uh, a dream come true. You know, it's I don't know. It's uh, a little cactus jack. Yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. Like we're it's super excited. And we, uh, we did some shopping actually on Sunday and we went and bought his like crib and his like uh, cupboards and a lot of stuff for his room and got all that all ready to go to get shipped over here. So it starts, it's getting closer and closer. Every time we've done an ultrasound, he's like running the ropes inside my wife's, you know, body right now. Like it's just going back and forth and doing tumbling and stuff like he never calms down in there break dancing like booker t yeah he's you know he like he does look like he's spin a rooney and like the one time it was like (laughs) whoa he's like going nuts so it's exciting we're really excited and proud and uh uh i have no idea what to expect well i can't help but feel pissed off that i that i'm wrong but yeah well, congratulations, Chris. Congratulations. Congratulations. We are very, very excited for you. Just know we do not have a paternity leave policy in place, so we will expect you back on the podcast the following week. Yeah, so. I'm going to need to like 
have some semblance of sanity, you know, like it's going to be little amount of sleep and uh, my job's going to be f- like once, once my wife doesn't have to pump anymore, or, like has, has enough stuff stored, like that's going to be my job. So staying up and watching night. live new Japan. Throw it yeah. on mute. <laughs> there you go. It'll be me. It'll be right after wrestle kingdom though. So I won't miss that. So that's good. Love it. Uh, well, everybody, that will wrap up the show for us this week. Once again, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Please pass along uh, this show to your friends and family that love wrestling or the ones who hate it. We don't really care as long as they're listening. And uh, please make sure you're visiting our website for our latest match reviews as well as articles. And once again, thank you for listening. Rick Root, play us out. Hit the music.